Today on the Juice Priestcast, we have Jay, the normal host, who I'm taking over for because this is a special episode. We have a guest on. Paul, how do you say your last name? How do you think? I'd like to hear, hear I, that. I Aloiso? Went, I went with Alosio. Alosio is closer, but it's Aloisio. Aloisio. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And Paul is the singer and guitarist from an incredible band called Restless Spirit. They're a doom band, stoner doom. Wait, how would you how would you quantify your band, your genre? Um, I don't really know. I just say we're like a metal band because, like, uh, I don't think we fit that neatly into like people. People will call us like stoner and doom and stuff like that, and I don't really agree. But it's not really for me to say, you know. Uh, so I don't know. We're just a metal band. Like we clearly have doom influences and shit, but, um, I don't know. We're a little on the faster side. Like we have a real problem just staying slow. We got a lot of energy and stuff. So. Yeah, that was actually uh, one of the questions I was going to ask is, um, you have a couple real burners, like nearly thrash level aggression. Yeah. I mean, like, we're from New York and the hardcore scene is so vibrant. And I mean, like I grew up, I I've been a metal head since day one, but there were no bands to join and tour with when I got into touring and stuff. So I was like, uh, touring around in my brother's hardcore band called detriment. And, um, I mean, it, it definitely rubbed off on me. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of like early New York hardcore and stuff like that. Uh, and it absolutely like seeps into our music for sure. And we're like the type of band that I I don't think I've ever sat down and be like, I want to write a song that sounds like this. Like I kind of just play whatever. So obviously like all of the influences that you've ever been exposed to, I feel if you're doing it right, will come through. Yeah, it's absolutely a synthesis of everything that you've experienced. And it, it feels honest and true to you and not <clears throat> you're not following some sort of trend or something. So, yeah, I mean, like, not for nothing, like, it's just fun to play fast once in a while. I mean, like, you have bands like, uh, you know, Carnivore, um, who came up through New York Hardcore, which obviously turned into uh, Typo Negative and, and stuff like that. But they were able to really, like, meld the two, you know, dirgy, sludgy stuff with faster stuff. And I mean, like, bands do it all the time, like, High on Fire. People, you know, people call them a doom band all the time. I'm like, those guys play fast, dude. You know, same thing with uh, Crowbar. Yeah. You know? Like they can get slow, but, you know, I don't think either of those bands really fit into a very like uh, defined genre. And I think that's what makes them interesting. So if I have a cool riff or a song idea, I'm not going to throw it out because I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's like doom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Makes sense. So, as this is a Judas Priest cast, what is your connection to that band? What uh, were they an influence on you growing up? So, define growing up. Like, are we talking like early teens or later? I found it when I was like fifteen, which would have been nineteen ninety. So, when I when I was growing up, and I'm you know I'm sure in the nineties this was obviously still a thing, but it was always Priest versus Maiden, right? And uh, when I was younger, I found Maiden first, and I was like, okay, I guess I listen to Iron Maiden, so 
I'm not going to go for Judas Priest. Like, I don't really, I just never cared about them because I was fully into Maiden and like super into Iron Maiden. And uh, then I, I was about like, I don't know, 16 or something like that. I went, I went to see Priest um, just because they're playing at Jones Beach and it's a great venue. And I was like, well, I don't hate them. So let's go. Um, and then I was like, oh, my God, like, I am a fucking idiot. And I just became obsessed with Judas Priest. And now, if you ask me, I'd probably choose Priest over Maiden, you know. Uh, but growing up, there was, like, no connection until I was in my later teens. And then it was like, holy shit, I've wasted so much time, like, just ignoring this band. And they have so much, you know, so much varied stuff in their catalog and shit. So, it, I mean, it was it was nice to be able to get into a new band like that for me that mm -hmm. it was new for me, but, um, they had such like a, a storied history that I can go back and choose from what, what decade and, and what era I was into, which still today it's fun, uh, to go through that because I, I can never make up my mind. Like if you ask me my favorite, like Judas priest era, it's like, I go through phases, you know what I mean? There's like the painkiller and after that, and then the eighties stuff, and uh, the very early stuff. So I, I went through phases where I only listened to early Judas Priest. That's just because I was like, I never really gave it that much attention because I got into them with Screaming for Vengeance. It's like, what better way is there to jump in to Maiden than with Screaming, you know? Um, I mean, I guess you could say Painkiller or British Steel. Like, there's kind of a, a bunch of ways that I would say for uh, an, a noob to Judas Priest to get into it. But um, I started with Screaming, and then uh, I basically only listened to that era up until Painkiller. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I started getting into the really early stuff. And, well, not really early stuff, but you know what I'm saying, like pre-Screaming. British Steel's uh, Sad Wings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely love priest now seen him a couple times and uh yeah like i said in the beginning of my journey with judas priest it was made made all the way and now it's definitely priest all the way you know yeah uh yeah my intro was via painkiller and that just blew my mind and then uh next album i picked up was turbo and couldn't stand it still can't stand it think that album is just awful and so i never actually got back in never explored priest any further until i was like 25 or something and somebody played me some really early stuff off of uh either sad wings or something else and it was that that was it i was like okay good that's the shit i like so and yeah, then you, via via the, the earlier incarnation of this podcast with george and hattie i i actually got to know the band a hell of a lot better and now they're like yeah I, I love priest dude priest rules and like they they could fit any mood and it's also so simple at times you just like you know re it's really easy to just like i don't know I'm, I'm not in the greatest mood i need something just like lift me up and like judas priest is able to do that i also funnily enough uh like i had known about painkiller uh obviously because i grew up really i was like the metalhead that introduced all my other friends to heavy metal 
in like junior high and stuff like that. And I I got a uh, I I've known about Judas Priest just from like reading books and stuff and you know breaking the law and stuff like that on MTV when it played music. And I had known about the Painkiller album, but I never like paid attention to it. And then um, I I don't remember what CD it was, but uh, Death on one of like uh, the bonus editions for one of their CDs had a, a Painkiller cover, and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> But yeah, like I in the beginning, I was like the screeching and the super high pitch stuff. I was like, why would anyone want to do that or like listen to it? And now I'm like, I get it. You know, he's just like belting it out from the heavens yeah, or, or the hells. And it, <laughs> it, it, it's just, you know, super awesome. Like that's the power of Judas Priest for me. Like it just feels like, all right, man, let's let's do this. You know, yeah. you don't get that feeling from many bands. No, no, uh, they're. There are very few. I have like six bands that are constantly in my rotation. Um, a Priest is one of them. Paradise Lost, Restless Spirit, uh, Carcass, and Catatonia, My Dying Bride. That's like, you know, those are the bands that I always go to when I need I need that feeling. So That's awesome. That's, that's a good uh, group of bands to be lumped in with, so thank you. And that's not you, you. You you see how much I post about you guys on Twitter. It is not bullshit. I fucking love you guys. Your music has been <laughs> incredible. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. Funnily enough, um, that uh, that show that you came to see us at that that Pensacola show, that was one of the weirdest fucking experiences of our lives. I talked to you about what was going on that day, right? Yeah, it was a celebration of some dude's life. And then it, the first band that came on seemed like a high school talent show band. It was they, weird. Yeah, they were. And like we, when we got there, first of all, we, we were told that the show was going on. But there was just like lack of communication. And like there was a poster for it, but no like ticket links. And then it was like, okay, it's just at the door, which is, you know, that happens from time to time. But for a matinee show, you want a little more security, especially if we're going all the way out of the way. Um, and then we got there and the venue's empty and we start loading in. And then all these old people start showing up like like grandmas and they're bringing food and flowers and paintings. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and I asked the venue staff, I was like, yo what's happening? Like, do they know what, what's about to happen? Are we about to like <laughs> get like screamed at by these like poor old ladies? And the staff was like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like we're open during the day. Nothing was booked. And uh, eventually the door guy got to talking to one of them and there was like a, uh, an end of life memorial for this, this guy named Bob which is why I said, rest in peace, Bob. I dedicated the set for him because it seemed, or Bill, some <laughs> piece of shit. I don't even remember his name, but uh, they, were, they were having a memorial for it and they were cool with us being there. But it was just like this, this whole mess. And, you know, like going into it, we were like, dude, like, is this show happening? And I was like, this show is fucking happening. Like, there's this guy on Twitter that said he's driving seven hours to see us. Like, we are fucking playing the show no matter what. Like, I don't care if I play it, just him. We're playing the show. So we went into it. And it was like a good time, you know, for a matinee in Pensacola. 
I mean, like way better than I thought. Cause a lot of the times on these tours, we get booked and like kind of like last minute routings and and stuff like that. We kind of got to like take what we get. But uh, back in the day, we used to play nobody, you know, for like years, literally years, just like, all right, we're just going to be like cockroaches. You know, we're not going to go away and just keep plugging along and it'll either pick up or it won't, but we're going to keep doing it. So back in the day, a situation like that, I guarantee you nobody would have known us and we would have been playing to no one and people would have just, left but thankfully you know we finally have a fan base that will come you know at at 3 p.m in pensacola to come see us and buy merch and know the music and shit like that so we're really lucky to be in the position that we're in where we could have a fun experience like that in a completely insane environment it was really funny too because the the people that were holding the benefit actually came up to us and i was like oh this is it like they're about to tell us to leave and they're like just take whatever food you want we're gonna throw it all away when we're done like i don't want to take anything home so we also got some pretty good food out of it nice. <laughs> it was good yeah <laughs> so tell us a little about your band uh so we're a three-piece band from long island uh new york obviously uh i've been playing in bands with my bass player mark uh forever i mean He's been my best friend since kindergarten. So we literally have been on a musical journey since day one, pretty much. Um, we have a, you know, we have a drummer that sort of plays at home and he's on, he's on the more recent two recordings, but he can't really tour anymore with his like living situation. Uh, he's so, also in like 27 other bands or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's like a studio wizard drummer. Yeah, yeah. So we were touring with him for for a bit, but then he's just like, I can't do this anymore. But I still want to like write and contribute. Like I'm not kidding, quitting. So I was like, all right. So literally the day like he told me and Mark that I called up Apollo, who plays with us live. That was the drummer that you saw, and uh, he played on our first record, Lord of the New Depression. And I was like, hey, uh, you want to be in the band again and just like be our touring drummer? He was like, all right, when are we going? And he's the dude just like fucking lives for drums, man. You know, he, he he's crazy. He is so committed to just he will just drop whatever he is doing just to play. And that's like the most respectable and honestly convenient thing for someone like me who will do the same exact thing, you know, because it's hard as you get older to to find someone like that. And he's down for the cause, you know, and he's, we get along with him. Great. I mean, he was in the band before, but, uh, we kind of soft kicked him out and it was, uh, no fault of anybody's. It was just, he lives in Massachusetts. And when the pandemic was going on, it was like, dude, like I, I need to write music and I don't know when this is going to end. I don't know, um, what the future is going to hold with traveling or touring. Like it might be better just be a local band. And he was like, dude, I totally get it. You know? So, um, John Gusmo, that's our, uh, our, uh, hometown drummer. We started playing with him again because he was actually in the band before Apollo. The whole history is very con- convoluted. Yeah. With Witch Ripper, DMP. And yeah. All that. Yeah. But the main thing is everybody's all cool. We have a situation that works for everybody. Uh, there's no drama and everybody knows what's good 
And uh, yeah, so just three dudes. Uh, well, I guess four, but only three that are ever playing at one time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're just out to make music that, you know, really connects with people and uh, that we enjoy playing. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know how to describe it better than that. Um, I guess I'm kind of not that great when, uh, when it comes to telling people about the band. Uh, but besides that, we're pretty active and uh, we have three albums under our belt and more EPs than I can count. And soon I will start writing for the fourth album. So there awesome. you go. Awesome. So what is your writing process? Do you guys all get together? Do you do most of it? Is it a collaboration? There's really not much collaboration. I mean, I, I'm really lucky to be in the position where I am, where it's like, you know, Mark doesn't write anything, but he is amazing at telling me what's good and what's not. Cause like, I'll just be playing riffs all day long. You know, I, I'm just always playing guitar. And, uh, he was my roommate for a bit. Um, and he would hear me playing something and be like, yo, play that again. I'd be like, why? It was stupid. He's like, just play it again. It was fucking awesome. He recorded it. And then he would make like fake drums on like garage band and put it together. <laughs> and nice. then I was like, damn, damn, you were right. You know? And then we would go and pre present it to our drummer. Uh, these days, um, it's a little more just like, that was when we were trying to figure out like, I don't know, like a good writing process, but we're comfortably in kind of just, I, I kind of just write everything, present it to, you know, whoever's playing drums at the time. And I'm like, all right, this is the song. Uh, do you like it or not? And if they say yes, we use it. And they say, no, we don't, but it's very rare that uh, anyone says no, because it's like, we all have the same, like we all know, what we're going for without ever really having to talk about it. You know what I mean? So yep. it's really, it's really organic and it's also really awesome because it's like one dude writing everything really. And you know, the lyrics and I, I'm always handling like, this is the art that I'm going for. This is a the theme. And it's like, you know, I bring it to everyone and they're like, that's awesome. Let's do it. You know, instead of like, well, I don't, I don't like that. Change this. Like, it's like the easiest band in the world to be in because everybody's so agreeable. It's like we have this psychic connection, I think, from knowing each other for so long. And, you know, I, you know, there are no like battling egos in this band because we're all kind of I mean, I think we're down to earth, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the writing process is kind of just like whatever I feel like fucking writing and then showing to the guys. <laughs> there are some times where like even like a, a lot of people's songs that. I, I'm very bad at judging what people will like. Um, so, for example, uh, the first song, Marrow, on our newest album, I wasn't even going to show them. I was like, this is, I don't know about this. It sounds different, like a little too different. I, I don't know. They're not going to like it. They're like, holy shit, we got to start working that immediately. And then uh, All Furies, which is like the thrash song on After Image, I was like, all right, that's like the one that like nobody's going to care about. And then it ended up being the third sing or the second single. Second single, yeah. Yeah, and everyone was like head over heels about that. Uh, and same thing with Hell's Grasp. I was like, dude, like I don't know if people are really going to be into this cuz you know it's kind of slower and that <laughs> that seems to be a lot of people's favorite from the album. So, I'm not a really good judge 
as to what other people will like. I know what I like. I like all of it, you know, but it, I.
I sort of have to try. That's where having a band where we could talk openly about things really works because they're like, all right, this is, you know, this is good. I, I don't think you see the potential in that because when you spend so much time working on it and um, really just like obsessing over every single fine detail, like when we go into the studio, I have every single map thing mapped out that I'm going to do. If I were to show you a demo that we made at home with all of the overdubs and vocal harmonies and every idea I had, the difference between the studio recording and the home recording is like just in the quality. It very rarely changes because I'm, I'm pretty focused on what I want to do. Um, but I'm not always so sure as to what the fans will really like and appreciate. Right. I just hope that they like it all. But if they don't, that's fine too, because we as a band like it, we think it's fun to play, you know? Exactly. So. Yeah, actually, Hell's Grasp is my favorite off that off the, <laughs> the new album. After there you it. go, so they yeah. came out came out last October. Yeah, last October. Sorry about that. Dog uh, bite. Yo, is that Judith Priest parking out? That us? is yes, that is Judith. She's the yappy one. It's Judith and, and Harrison Ford uh, going together right now. Hey, come on, guys. Um. I forgot what we were talking about now. Oh, Hell's Grass. Yes, After Image came out in October October 6th this year through Magnetic Eye Records, um, who are amazing, by the way. I, I love everyone on that team, and I'm very happy to be a part of that label because we were doing everything ourselves for so long. Right. Um, They've been supportive. Oh, totally. I mean, like, Jad, you know, like the head of the label, he even said... Um, Hell's Grasp should be a single and All Fury should be a single. And I remember thinking in my head, that's the fastest and the slowest song. What the hell? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's what it, yeah, that's what everybody likes because he was like, all right, so Marrow has to be number one because that's just like lights out. Like that's the single. Right.
I was like, cool. I agree with that. And then he was like, but I'm really pushing for all furies and hell's grasp. And I was like, what really? But, um, I trusted him on it. And, uh, like, I don't know. I, I think that everyone else has a really good year for <laughs> what they like in, in my writing and stuff. So I just trust people on that. I, I love hell's grasp. You know, it's like, I, I wouldn't ever say like, Oh, that's your favorite song. Why? Because it's like, I love all of them. You know, I wouldn't put it, I would never put anything on an album that I wasn't head over heels with, you know, but right. hell's hell's grass seems to be a really popular one. It doesn't get played that much live though, because we sort of have to uh, ebb and flow with our set list, the way that the tempos change. And a lot of times when we have like a more energetic crowd and stuff, we don't want to bring down the mood. Um, right. But when the show calls for it, it usually goes off pretty well. And I also, Mark, oh, go ahead. I, I think Mark is on After Image in general really fucking shines. His bass lines have gotten more creative than they had been on Blood of the Old Gods. And on uh, Wrath, it is, that's like, he really shines on that album, uh, on that song. Yeah, they, that, that song is kind of like carried by him because it's like, yeah, I play guitar and I, I write all the riffs and the lyrics and stuff, but I always want everyone on the band to have their time to shine. Like I'm always pushing for everybody to just, you know, uh, play a little outside of your comfort zone because that's how I, I do everything, you know? And it's like, I know you guys are so amazing at what you do. I want everybody to have their spot to shine. So it's like Hell's Grasp is definitely Mark's song. Whereas the same thing um, on the previous album, Blood of the Old Gods, the end of Cascade Immolator was kind of just a jam. But I was like, dude, you're like the best fucking drummer I know. Like, I, like, why don't we just like showcase like you just going nuts? Like, I want everyone to hear how amazing you are at playing drums. So I'll take the back seat. I have enough guitar solos. I don't need any more. <laughs> right. You know? So, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you about Mark's uh, playing and stuff. He's really uh, stepping up his game and the mix is great you could really hear the bass coming through well you could hear everything coming through but the bass especially to my ears anyway <coughs> excuse me really comes through well in the mix yeah we had um nunez jonathan nunez from torch mix it and uh his whole thing is just like explosive just like wall of sound and kind of abrasive which some people in uh, when it first came out were like, what the fuck? Like, this is too loud. Everything is just like in your face. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, that's just what he does, you know, so take it or leave it. But the bass especially, uh, I think he, he really killed it. Like, it just sounds so like demented and gnarly and distorted. And that's kind of like even the guitars, like those guitars are so distorted that there, it's barely like the signal is so shredded that it's barely a guitar if that makes any sense like it's just distortion um and it's abrasive and i i like the way that it came out like it's some you know it's it's fucking crazy it sounds nuts yeah it sounds great and the it seems like the mix in all three albums are a little different especially the guitar in this in uh, after image it seems like it's a lot fuzzier to me anyway. That's act. Yeah, that's actually. Um, so our, we recorded it with this dude named John Forrestal at the animal farm in New Jersey. 
And uh, so I, I, my main amp, I always play it, is my orange uh, rocker verb, Mark III. And I brought that and he was like, all right, so we're going to have like, I think we ended up having like three different amps on each side. And then he reamped a dry signal and put it through an HM2 and put it like low in the mix so you can't hear it, but it's there. And I was just like, like when he told me he was going to do that, I was like, dude, I what? Like, <laughs> no way. And then I heard it. I was like, holy shit, this is like insane. So it was just like, this is the excess album, I would say, in terms of like mixing and whatnot. Because it was just like everything to to like, just like mind-numbingly distorted and fucking loud. And I, I like it because it reflects like the time period of like, you know, how I was living at the time. And it, you know. I, I think that all of the albums, especially even in the mix, like if it's captured right, um, hopefully a little bit of, if you're working with a really good mix engineer, they could almost bring, let's say, the soul and the life experience out of the instruments and the songs and stuff. So all of our albums do sound different. And I hope that all of them going forward do as well, because I never really like doing the same thing twice, you know? Right. Good to keep people on their toes. And yeah, you're right. I mean, they all are different. So yeah, that's that keeps it exciting. Yeah, because we we're all like we get, we get. I don't I don't want to say bored easily, but it's like I'm always looking for the next thing. You know, like I have like six million hobbies, right? And I'm always like I I'll just get into something, and I'm like, all right, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing that, and I work at everything till I can get to a point where I'm like okay, I'm actually good at this and, and I'm like enjoying it. And it's sort of like the same thing with music because it's like, all right, I already did that. Like the longer songs on, on Blood of the Old Gods, we're like, oh, that was awesome. Let's not do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to put a set list together of nine minute songs. Yeah, well, that's the other thing because like, like Blood is really only five songs and two interludes. And uh we always play judgment in exile because people love that song, but that's nine minutes long. So right there, that's, you know, that's a good chunk of change. So yeah, but I don't know, maybe the next album will go back to longer songs. I, I, I don't really know. This is like the first time in a very long time where I actually took a break from writing like songs um for no particular reason, besides the fact that I was so happy with after image, I was like, all right, I'm kind of like, I don't feel that like nervous energy to I have to get something out. I'm like, this is cool. People like it. We're busy. We're touring pretty consistently for the level that I'd like. So I'm going to let some time for it to simmer and actually think about what I do before just acting on it musically for once, because that's what I usually do. Right, right. So where do you get yeah. your inspiration as far as the lyrics? You write all the lyrics, don't you? Yeah. Um. I, I love reading like 99% of the time. If I'm not like playing guitar, working on projects on the house or something like that, like I am constantly reading um, even on tour in November. I think we had like a 10 day tour and I, I, I ripped through like six books uh, just no matter where I am. I'm, I'm always uh, reading and getting inspiration from that because I love the English language. And uh, I think it's interesting what people can do with it. And uh, I love writing lyrics because you're able to 
take this English, the this language that we have and break every single rule and just do whatever you want with it. And you could work with metaphor and all different sorts of uh, you know, poetry. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really, I pull a lot from literature. I'm always like, I'll see a line in a book and I'm like, oh, that was, that was amazing. And I'll get like really inspired and start like writing lyrics uh, or just a word or a phrase and things like that. But the inspiration is always from real life things. Like I've never written just like a fantasy story just about like nothing. Like every single thing I've ever written has been like extremely real. Be even if I'm not telling it in that way, it's coming from like a, a more real place because I selfishly, I use the band as a form of self-expression <laughs> not to please anybody else. Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, it all comes from life experience, but uh, you know, I, I'm always stealing things, you know, like I, I hear a line in a movie and I'm like, that was great. That's mine now. And I think like any smart musician will do the same thing. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. So musically, where do you draw inspiration from? You know, all over the place. Um, one of the biggest ones, it, it's usually more in terms of mood that or uh, feel as opposed to riffs. Uh, like there are not really many riffs that I've written that came from other riffs. Um, uh, and I don't really know why. Um which I know sounds a little ridiculous, obviously, but I never really growing up, I learned like a couple songs, like even to this day, there are only like so many songs by other people I could play on guitar. Cause I just, I, I'm always writing my own stuff. And I, I, uh, I had a guitar teacher, but I did not take it seriously when I was like 12 and I just started doing my own thing. And uh, I immediately went into starting writing my own riffs and, uh, so I'll, I'll hear a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh, that's a cool vibe, but I wouldn't want to take that exact riff. Uh, but uh, certain ideas I will steal. Like uh, I love bands that are just not afraid to do something super simple and just like, why don't we have a whole song where I'm just like chugging on the open E and then the things that'll, you know, uh, make it a little more interesting or the vocals or the drums or let something else shine instead of every song being riff fest. Although most songs of ours do end up being riff fest because we're hyperactive. Um, One of the things that I've noticed in your, in, in the songs is you, you will have a riff and it will do something. It, it will be the standard way you play it for the first, first verse, second verse. And then or you're even on maybe on the second verse or third verse, you alter it ever so slightly. You add in a little run on, into the riff uh, that hadn't been there on the previous iterations of it. Is that does that come from anywhere? Is that just you like going, I'm a little bored? I, it's kind of just, yeah, maybe it's saying I'm a little bit bored, but to me it's a little, I, I think that you can take a really simple idea and make it seem more interesting than it actually is by doing things like that. And then it's like, those little tiny variations will become so much more interesting because they just simply weren't there before. Um, Absolutely. And you don't have to overcomplicate it. I, I, I really don't think. Um, but yeah, I don't really know where I, I got that from. Uh, funnily enough, a lot of my 
if I were to say that my riffs came from anywhere, uh, would be a lot of Coheed and Cambria, because I think that Claudio Sanchez is the most underrated riff writer of all time. I mean, absolutely of all time. He is so amazingly complex in what he's able to pull off and also sing and his rhythms are just out of this world. And he also, a lot of the things he does is complex, yes, but also simple, if that makes sense. Like he'll take an idea that shouldn't be like tricky to play, but then it ends up being incredibly tricky. But to him, I'm sure it's the most natural thing in the world. Like I'll write a lot of riffs um, where it's like, you know, why did you, why did you write it like that? Like, why did you do that? Why did you drop this note and add this one? I was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's just what I felt like. It's what I was feeling at the time. Like that was what the mood called for. You know what I mean? Perfect. Crooked Timber. Uh, Cricket Timber Humanity, just an, a fantastic song. And I was uh, doing a little bit of a Sabbath um, listen to a few weeks ago. And I was listening to St. Vitus's Dance, where it alternates between this slow, heavy, sludgy riff. And then goes into this really bright, like, major key... When I, so when I listen to Crooked Timber, it reminds me of St. Vice's Dance with that same kind of interplay between a very, very heavy bit and a very light. I mean, the lead work after the heavy bit is fucking amazing, Paul. It's just great. So is, Thank you. is there anything along those lines? I know I just well, bat a bunch of shit at you, so. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I mean, like, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's like directly, like, once again, I don't consciously do it, but I know I... I would never say that anything I do is completely original. I just don't know where it's coming from, if that makes sense. But if I really analyze it, like St. Vitus Dance is a great example, but I would argue that probably for that song, possibly um, I was more subconsciously inspired by uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. And, uh, you know, how it's the same same type of idea, like exactly what you're saying but like you know then you got the acoustic guitars and like that like directly after that and um i re i really love interplay and, and contrast and things like that and i'm never i never even want things to be too minor you know what i mean like i like our music to have a little a little like give and take because then the the heavy parts are, are a little heavier and also like I'm just not that type of like evil guy. So it's like, it wouldn't be that authentic if everything was just like crushing and I'm going to fucking kill you stuff. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, th thanks for that. And funnily enough, Crooked Timber of Humanity seems to be like the go-to off that album. And that was the one song I was like, this is going to be like the filler track. Like everyone is going to skip this. <laughs> everyone loves that song. <laughs> 
Well, it is a absolutely fantastic song. Thank you. And I, I know I told you this, but we weren't playing that song in that tour. We hadn't played it in a long time. But once I knew that you were uh, driving to come out and see us, uh, we didn't even practice it or anything. We we're like, all right, we'll just let's play it. And, and it went off fine, you know, because we're, we're pretty like tight um, and like in tune with each other. So I love that song, man. I think that song is so much fun to play. Yeah, it 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 comes across great live. The uh, and uh, the guitar tone, I mean, is just like yeah, it's heroin for me, man. That's just brilliant stuff. Thanks. It, it's yeah. really simple, actually. A lot of people are always asking about it because I I do a lot of things like I guess the wrong way or just like counterintuitive. Like a lot of people when they use fuzz, uh, they'll really they'll back off on the amp, you know. And they won't use that much distortion. But I'm like, fuck that. So I like I have the distortion pretty, pretty damn high on uh, my rocker verb. And then my fuzz pedals are like barely distorted. It just gives that little bit of grit. And then I send everything. So it's it's not stereo, but it is running through two cabs uh, to just like because uh, even if everything is mic'd up, like I, I always request, like, please mic up both cabs. Uh, so you really get the different the sonic differences in the different speakers. And I think that's how we translate a lot of that sound live, even though I'm not playing with three amps on each side and instead just one. Yeah. So upcoming tours, what do you have planned? Uh, nothing is announced. And it's like, damn, because we, we do have a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, but it's like all behind the scenes stuff. Literally right now, if you were to look at our like actual announced calendar, it's we have nothing. But uh, there are things that should be announced. Like I don't know, like in a week, maybe two weeks, and stuff like that. Um, but we'll be keeping busy for sure. Um, for us, a lot of the scheduling comes a little like closer to the date that's going to happen. Um, especially if we're opening up for another band. Because it'll sort of like, you know, the headlining band, they'll get all their ducks in a row. And then it's like, all right, well, who are we going to take with us? And then, you know, if we get lucky, we do, we'll do that with them. But uh, yeah, nothing's really set in stone right now, which is there. There was a bunch of stuff getting worked on, but uh, nothing that I can really say like, oh, this is definitely happening. But if these things that are being worked on do work out it's gonna be fucking cool i promise you that like fucking cool will nice, it be can't as wait. cool as having wino do a solo on uh, an album like uh, for after image <laughs> i don't think anything will ever be that cool and he's like the nicest dude by the way like so easy to work with and just like down for it but another thing that i can't really talk about um but i'll allude to it is uh, we we recorded? I, I posted something about this on Twitter the other day. We recorded a another cover uh, by a punk band, um, and we got a super cool guest on it. Super fucking cool, and uh, I think he plays actually on the whole song instead of just like a little feature. Um, and it's from a band that a lot of people in this genre are really, 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 really like. So it, I can't wait to, to show everybody. That's going to be fucking awesome. I think people are going to be like, what? <laughs> like, that's going to be a big surprise when it comes out. Awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. Should be cool. 
So you guys did a sound garden cover. Is that right? Yeah, we did a uh, room a thousand years wide. It, that's just one of your favorite songs or how do you get inspiration to figure out what covers you want to do? Cause you you were saying you don't really know how to, or don't have the desire to play a lot of other music. So I was interested in, in knowing how you came to, to that song. Was it a magnetic eye thing? They were doing that Soundgarden compilation cover album and they just asked you to do it. Yeah. So funnily enough, like a couple years ago, I started getting into Soundgarden heavy because, you know, like I was always like, all right, yeah, they're, they're a good band, but I didn't really like explore it. And then uh, one of the songs that really just like caught my attention was Room a Thousand Years Wide. And I was like, I feel like this would be a good fit for Restless Spirit. Like we should cover this one day. It was kind of like a fleeting thought, but I remember the exact moment, like thinking it. I was like sitting in my car in my driveway and I was listening to the whole album. And I, you know, it's like one of those songs where it came on and I, I was, I stayed in the driveway till it was over, you know? Right. And uh, I was like, damn, it'd be, it'd be cool to cover this one day. But I never brought it up. I uh, never thought there'd be a reason to. Uh, and then, yeah, Magnetic Eye asked if we wanted to contribute. And I was like, actually, a couple of years ago, I thought that it would be really cool to cover this song. Can we do that? And he was like, yeah, go for it. So I was like, all right, fuck yeah. Like, let's go. Because um, I feel like when it comes to cover songs, you could either like take the original and just like really fuck with it and make it completely different, which it has to be really good if you're going to do that. And it has to be worth it. Like sometimes um, I'll hear covers from bands where they just take the, the original and it's like, nothing about it really like stayed besides like the lyrics. Like it's just a completely different song. You know, sometimes it ends up being cool. Sometimes it doesn't. But I was like the way that typo negative did their covers, you know, like cinnamon girl. And it's really the same song just in their style. So that was yeah. kind of what we want to do. I was like, all right, this kind of sounds like a riff. Like maybe I would write like, so let's just play it the way that we, we play it and we won't change anything just to change it. But if there are things that come along like while we're jamming along to it, we'll do that. Um, I think it worked out really well. Like I was really happy that uh, we were able to be a part of that compilation. There are a lot of good songs on that. Um, especially I, I really like horse burners, uh, spoon man cover. That one blew my mind. Cause good song. I mean that that's a, a hard song to do well, you know, because it's so unique to Soundgarden. So right. when I saw they were doing that, I mean, like, I've been friends with those guys forever. And I was like, all right, they're going to do it justice. And I'm, I'm happy that it completely ex exceeded my expectations. Like, that might be my favorite on the whole compilation. I think that one's fucking awesome. But yeah. So what's the compilation called in case people want to go out and listen to it? Uh, so there's the Super Unknown Redux, which we are not on. Uh, but it's sort of part of the same package. We are on the best of Soundgarden Redux. Okay. By Magnetic Eye. So. Awesome. Magnetic Eye has been a 
very reliable source for new music for me kind of recently, mainly through you guys. Um, and uh, Howling Giant has become a favorite of mine. And I, I wish I had known more about them before I, before I saw them live uh, when they were headlining and you were opening. Um, so Magnegadi is, uh, they're a good label. I'm, I'm impressed by their the quality of their music. Yeah, I mean, so truthfully, when when we were uh, first started going up, going, uh, getting going again, sorry, just tripped over my words, after the pandemic, um, we put out Blood on our own. We had our own label called Life's Blood. Um, and uh, we put up, pre like, I did everything right. You know, we got, you know, the proper PR channels. Uh, we got some really awesome licensed artwork from Frank Frazetta, which I still cannot believe they said yes. Um, we did everything the right way. We got the vinyl made ourselves. We put it up for pre-order and within a month, like we had sold out of everything, like just through pre-orders. Awesome. And I had, I had thought we were going to be sitting on those records forever. I was like, we're never going to sell these. And it went well and people really liked, and it started like exploding on Bandcamp. So we were kind of just like, all right, like, there's no fucking reason to be on a label. Like we have our own label and it's doing, we're doing what we want to do. Like we started getting like cool talk tour offers and people wanted to start working with us. So it was like, all right. So we, until something we really like comes along, like we're not just going to say yes, just so it's like, Oh, we're on a label. Cause I don't give a shit about that. You know what I mean? But, uh, uh, Jad from magnetic eye started talking to us and, uh, I was like, okay, this one I could actually see us on because they seem to have a really good ear for just finding good shit and a pretty varied um, amount of stuff too. But, um, you know, in our, in our first conversation with them, the most important thing was that they trusted us to be us and they supported it. And it seemed like they really cared about everything they were doing. You know, a lot of bands at smaller levels will sign to bigger labels. And, uh, you know, if the album doesn't do that well, the label's just kind of like, whatever, you know, because they, they just, you know, they're the bigger band that label will make up for it. So they just don't really care. I really wanted to work with a smaller, still like almost feeling DIY boutique-ish label that actually has, you know, manpower behind it and they actually really care about all their artists and uh i cannot say enough good things about magnetic eye i mean like i i love jad he's one of my favorite people and uh he's just a really nice guy on on top of like really knowing some good tunes you know and yeah i mean also circling back to howling giant you know because talk about magnetic eye i mean those those guys are just fucking amazing. I'm so happy that their album did as well as it did. I mean, I heard that they sent it to me earlier, like a couple months ago, because uh, we've been friends since last March when we did our first run with them, and they're just like super sweet, like down to earth guys. And uh, they sent it to me I'm like this. This is this is like everything a fan of Howling Giant wants and more. Um. So yeah, it, it, there's some there's some other uh, good stuff that 
I, you know, I, I know people checked it out, but I haven't heard many people in my circle uh, talk about, but uh, this band called High Priest, I don't know if you've checked that out. We played with them in Chicago. Uh, they're also on Magnetic Eye, and they're fucking awesome. I definitely recommend checking out High Priest. And uh, Heavy Temple has a, which a lot of people know about that band. They have a new album coming out. Um, I'm not exactly sure when. But uh, that's sure to, you know, if you're a Heavy Temple fan, you'll definitely be happy with that new album, I think, based on what I've heard from it so far. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to the Heavy Temple album. I had not uh, heard of the previous one. Well, what was the name of that? High Priest. High Priest, yeah. Yeah, dude, awesome, awesome band. We played their record release in Chicago on the way home from our, our first uh, full U.S. headliner. And... Uh, it, they just like blew me away, like just absolutely blew me. It's almost like I don't know, kind of like ethereal, crushing doom. If that makes sense. <laughs> I, I, by the band name and your description, I will definitely like it. Yeah, no, su- super cool. Crushing yeah. doom, I dig it. <laughs> yeah. Crushing doom. So you have three full-length records out. Uh, Lord of the New Depression. Came out in 2019, Blood of the Old Gods, which we were just talking about, 2021, and After Image, just came out last year, and then a whole lot of EPs. Yeah, so I mean, back when we first started, it it was just more cost efficient to do EPs, and especially for any band, just really getting started, it makes more sense to do that. You know, do a couple of EPs. See if you can get picked up by a label um, and then do a full length. But we weren't getting picked up by any labels. So we just started our own. And uh, that's how we put out uh, Lord of the New Depression. And because uh, we were just like, we're just going to do it ourselves for like, that's just like our our work ethic. Like, let's, everyone was saying, oh, don't put it on full length until you're on a label. And I was like, why? Like, I don't care. <laughs> it seemed and, to work uh, out okay. Yeah, no, we've, we've had a pretty good career out of not listening to anyone. Uh, and, but yeah, the EP, EPs are cool too, though. I'm always left wanting more. So it's like even when I, li- like as a music fan, when I find out about a cool EP, I'm like, ah, that was cool, but I almost wish there was a full album. Uh, but we haven't done an EP in a while. Uh, I think the most recent one is Clarity EP, which is actually not intended to be an EP. That was just songs that we recorded for Lord. But uh, it was the album was going to get way too long. We were like verging on like, you know, I don't know, like 70 minutes or stuff. Like there was also an instrumental song that was just cut and never released. Just like sort of like a segue track. But we recorded a lot of music for that. And uh, yeah, I think that's the most recent EP, Clarity. And that was 20... 2020. 2020, yes. So is that right in the middle of covid or yeah there's just like you know because we put out lord and then i was just like busy doing other musical stuff and the band was kind of you know the band was kind of just like at a standstill because we weren't really like making much headway and i was thinking like i'm obviously not going to stop but i need to almost like reassess like some things weren't working the way that i wanted them to and i think like also i was just probably not in the right headspace for it. Um, 
so it was kind of just like, all right, I'm just going to take a little bit, take a step back, think about what I want to do next. And uh, so then the pandemic happened. And it's not a good thing the pandemic happened at all. But for the band, it was good uh, to sort of step back and, and just like, all right, now there's no pressure. Like no one's doing anything. And so we had those two songs that we were like, I don't know, like, are we ever going to release these? And I was like, all right, like, let's just put them out. Like, who cares? Hopefully people like them. <laughs> if they don't, it's like, whatever, you know, more music to uh, for people to choose from. Uh, so, yeah, the pandemic was good for that. Uh, I wrote a shitload of songs. We used absolutely none of them. Um, <laughs> but they're all recorded, like, demos. Like, I probably have an album and a half worth of, like, full fleshed out songs that could be at any given moment if if uh the label's like all right we need an album tomorrow like all right i'm good to go guys learn this and uh we'll be good but so like we me and mark kind of because mark was really the only person i was seeing during the pandemic like out of any of my friends uh because he just like lived with his mom and his mom wasn't going out or doing anything and i wasn't going out or doing anything so mark would still come over and uh yeah, we recorded like a bunch of fucking songs. And then once things lifted, we started jamming uh, with John Gusmo. And uh, I was like, all right, let's not use these demo songs. Let's see if we can come out with anything new. And we wrote Blood just in like a, a jam space in the course of like literally one month. Um, and so we just were like, all right, we have enough songs. Like, just throw those demos on the back burner. They'll probably see the light of day because like Mark is always saying, like there are a couple songs like, dude, you need to, we need to record that one. Like it needs to happen. Maybe the next album we will, maybe the next album we will. It's finally like, all right, I don't have anything else written right now. So maybe he'll get his way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that'll help. Have a couple in the bag already. Yeah. Mark is the best at like really being a good critic as to, you know, uh what's good and and what's not because i mean his track record speaks for itself (laughs) yeah all right well we've been talking for a while and we have a regular segment on the podcast where we uh have spun a wheel spun the spinner to get a year and last year was 2010 and we each choose an album from 2010 and talk about it for a minute so, Paul, what is your album from 2010? And don't say High on Fire, because that's mine. <laughs> All right, I won't, but I was going to. <laughs> um, I, I was. Um, but it's good anyway, because there were two that I needed to decide from. Um, one was that, and the second was uh, Death Red. I still don't know how to say it, but Death Red, Sabaoth, or whatever, from Danzig. Um, yep. Man... I, I love that album when it first came out. Like, it sounds like shit. Let's just get out of the way. It sounds awful. Danzig played drums on, like, two of the songs, and it's just awful. But <laughs> uh, there are a lot of really good songs on it. And, like, something I admire about Danzig is that he's just, like, the biggest, like, egomaniac in the world. And, like, he just doesn't know it, you know? So it's, like, he's, like, a real-life evil cartoon character that like i just get the biggest kick out of and i love it so it's like when i found out he's playing drums on some of the songs i was like of course he is you know <laughs> yeah. like fucking of course he is 
But um, yeah, I, I think it's a really good fucking album. Uh, definitely held back from the production and the artwork and the horrible music videos. But, you know, I will give it to Danzig. Like he does not seem to, he clearly doesn't care what anyone says clearly, because if he did, someone would have told him you need to mix this better or you need to do this better. Or maybe you shouldn't play drums. He does not give a fuck. Uh, Hammer a mark in his life. Yeah, he, he, he does, but he'd probably kill him. (laughs) Uh, Hammer of the Gods. I mean, that's an awesome opening track. Um, On a Wicked Night, great song. Once again, one of the worst music videos. Um, Juju Bone, great song. Ridiculous lyrics, especially to hear Danzig say the words Juju Bone. It's just bizarre. (laughs) So, you know what I'm saying? It's just like a, it's like everything you could want out of modern day Danzig. Like you could laugh and say it's it's ridiculous. This is stupid and silly, but it's like the songs are still good. It's just like a cartoon character, you know. But I don't know. I'm a Danzig defender, but I I also like I would never be like, no, he's not a psychopath, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the charm for me. It's fun. It's fucking funny, and it's like, dude, like I want to like experience a real life cartoon. Like every time I've seen him live, man, oh my god angriest fucking guy in the world it's like you know like the guy that goes to work every day and just like screaming at everyone around him he's like can't stand his life and it's like well why are you working here (laughs) that's that's the vibe that i get whenever (laughs) i've seen danzig but it's like there's something about it it's like some a very big part of me thinks that i don't know there has to be some sort of like act going on i just don't think anyone can really be that insane like every time I've seen him, he's been screaming, yelling about something. Even you know, it's he, it's wild. But you know, he could still sing pretty decently, yeah. uh, especially when he belts shit out. When he sings softer, it's not really, he doesn't really have that anymore. But uh, I mean, I, I saw him. Uh, I'm going on a complete Danzig tangent, by the way. But uh, I saw him on the How the Gods Kill tour. And I mean, like, he could still belt those fucking songs out. But when you do, like, the softer stuff, it was, like, kind of sounded like a little too hoarse and shit. Yeah, but, uh, I yeah. don't think you can pull off Sistanas anymore. No. And it makes sense. Like, a lot of people don't get it. But, like, whispering and actually speaking softly is actually harder on your voice um, than just speaking normally. Um, but, yeah, Death Red Sabbath or Sabbath, I don't know, I, I will never know, and I don't want anyone to tell me, because I want it to be a, a great dancing mystery in my life, but that's my album, <laughs> you know, I, I saw him on that tour, and I picked up that CD at the show, I think it was Irving Plaza, or, no, I think it might have been Roseland Ballroom in New York City when it was still open, and it was fucking great night, great album, great but awful album, and <laughs> that's what I understand. Yeah, <laughs> That is a fantastic choice. Jay, what's your album? Oh, you're going to love this. I did this just for you, Jeff. My album is Blood of the Nations by Accept. Oh, God. Your your favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this record was the first release after a 14-year gap with Accept, and it features a new singer, Mark Tornillo, uh, who still fronts the band, actually. So... Except one of the reasons you hate them, I think, is because they're 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 consistent, but they're predictable. 
So, I mean, the albums are very consistent. They're all hard, head-banging, good stuff. Um, but you get the the head for the straightforward headbanging stuff and a ballad on every single record. They stick to a formula. Uh, the song structure is predictable. I mean, any song off this record could slide right into an early '80s record. Really, "Restless and Wild," "Balls to the Wall," "Metal Heart." They all slide in without skipping a beat because it's it's their formula. Um. So interestingly enough, this record, um, and actually the last five Accept records, were produced by Andy Sneap. And they sound excellent. The guitars are real crunchy. Um, You have the unmistakable Wolf Hoffman tone and sound. I mean, on some of these songs, it just brings you back to the early 80s and some of the tones of, uh, I mean, you could always tell it's a Wolf Hoffman deal. Uh, Mark Tornillo's voice, it fits perfectly with Accept, kind of like Udo-esque kind of deal, um, but cleaner and more melodic, especially in the ballads. Does a good song with those. Um, it's a typical Accept record. It's predictable, but it's killer. You bang your head. Of course, um, they're, uh, Andy Sneap, as I said, recorded or produced the last five Accept records, so they have that in common with Priest. Um, actually, Accept opened for Priest in 1981 on the World Wire, World the World Wide Blitz tour. Easy for me to say. Um, and Mark, the lead singer, and Rob are really good friends. Um, they will play with Priest and Bruce Dickinson this summer in Athens. Um, let's see. The Accept drummer Christopher Williams plays drums on the Elegant Weapons record, the Ritchie record. And both bands have been around for 50 years. They play together all the time. So there's a big time connection with uh, Accept and Priest. And that's my record, Blood of Nations by Accept. Awesome. Yeah. I, I respect your choice. I know we'll not <laughs> Hey, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah, sure. Uh, being that this is a, a Judas Priest cast, um, did you guys ever talk about the time where Andy Sneap was kicked out for like a day? No. no. Go go well, on. This should be interesting. You you guys don't remember that? No, I don't. Uh, did he have to take like a? I thought he had like a health issue that he had to take a break, and so they were doing a they were going to tour as a foursome, and then the backlash. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. the foursome thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was just curious to hear your guys' take on it because when I found out about it, I was like, what the fuck is that? Because I think Andy Sneap is an awesome addition to Priest. Oh yeah, for like, sure. Absolutely awesome. So I was just wondering if you guys ever talked about that or had opinions on that. My yeah, opinion we, is that Priest is a twin guitar attack, and if you try and tour with one guitar, I don't give a shit what the hell the uh, the the background, I forget what it's called, but the 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 recorded bits, it's not the same. It's two guitars. That's that's Priest. I need two guitars. Yep, that's their sound. Any yeah. anything else is is not cool. That yeah, that lasted for about a day. Yeah, that that, that was <laughs> fucking weird, right? <laughs> yeah. Just say, oh, yeah, we're a four-piece, and then the next day, yeah, just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
right. Yeah, I, I was just curious uh, if you guys ever covered that because I, I thought that was an interesting. Div- I think that was like what, like two years ago or something like that. It was kind of yeah. recent. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't it was too long two ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that Bizarre. was a whole weird deal. You, you can't you can't have one guitar with three. No way. Just not doesn't make any sense. Blow the mind. <laughs> Jeff, you're up, man. Well, my my album is High on Fire, Snakes for the Divine. Um, High on Fire is a band led by Matt Pike. It's actually basically a solo project by him. Matt Pike is a doom legend. He was in Sleep. He was the uh, guitarist for Sleep. Um, and High on Fire is a trio. Um, and uh, Snakes, uh, Snakes is an incredible album. And for ages, I thought he was just going... I thought his lyrics on this album were were just him being crazy uh, and, and writing just weird stuff. And it turns out, like, he did an interview last year, the year before, with with a magazine. And no, this is actually his beliefs. This is... He is writing his truth on, on this <laughs> album. And it is fucking insane. It, it is the weird... He is literally gone insane and i didn't really know how insane he was until this interview uh, but the the guitar work matt pike is a guitar god he is just insanely good and he writes some of the chunkiest sludgiest riffs and then uh solos like a madman um and as paul said earlier um without coordination you, you mentioned matt uh you mentioned high and fire um he uh uh his his ability to um, write riffs and keep them and, and not be beholden to just being a doom band and writing a thrashy riff, writing a deathy riff. riff. Uh, he's just incredible. I love Matt Pike, um, even though he's absolutely batshit insane. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and dude, that opening riff for, for Snakes or the Divine, I mean, like, I remember... When I first put it into my CD player, I was driving. I was just like, holy. Because to my knowledge, they hadn't done anything like that. I don't know. Do you want to say, I guess, like melodic, you know, before? Yeah, it had been, just it like, had been a little more droney before. Yeah, and it just opened up. And I was like, dude, like this, this is, I think that's my favorite High and Fire album, like for sure. Uh, it is mine. Um, How Dark We Pray is probably my favorite song of theirs. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. For a while, it, it was uh, Blessed Black Wings, but every time like, I compare the two, it's like, I don't know. Like, they're, they're all really good. You can't go wrong with High on Fire. They're very consistent. No, not at all. all right, they do have one little priest connection. They covered uh, Rapid Fire. Mm, which I actually didn't listen to, and I should have, because, uh, yeah, I'm just lazy. I forgot to listen to it. I need to. Good song. A lot of people yep. have covered it. Yeah. So. Killer. Jay, would you spin the spinner for next episode? Let's do it. Now, the spinner has the years between 1974, the Rockerola album, up to present, the Invincible Shield album. We're going to spin it and discuss what record the spinner spits out or what year and a record release. So let's do it. Oh, yeah. Spinner rider, you're spinning my phone. Ooh. 
1989. The spinner has spun and has spoken. And 1989 is the year we're going to have on our next episode of the Priestcast. I like that. That's that's kind of going out of the 80s into the 90s when all hell broke loose. 90s isn't a great year for music, I don't think. But uh, the 80s definitely was. Man, most so of that, my favorite stuff is in the 90s. Be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that's what you always say for sure. Yeah. All right. So, Paul, uh, anything you want to say? You want to talk about your band? Talk about anything coming up? I I mean, I wish I could. Um, yeah, we've been, been through ne- this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I I guess I would just say you know like thank you guys for having me on. I had a lot of fun, and thank thank you guys for you know listening to the band and supporting us because it means a lot of course thank you so much for appearing uh on the episode uh i really appreciate it i had a little bit of butterflies when uh we were uh when i was setting up the zoom link and whatever and was just kind of like nervous to talk to you so (laughs) dude it's all good i haven't even met you in person it was still like oh my god so (laughs) it's my uh, pleasure yeah you were excellent uh just amazing uh good luck with everything with the band and hopefully you tour at least as south as georgia because i i have a i'll I'll drive there to to see you hell yeah man sounds good to me and uh i'll I'll give you a freebie i'll i'll clue you into uh what's going on if you keep it hush hush on the down low Uh (laughs) just not here (laughs) just not here yeah you you could tell you could tell jay though (laughs) Yeah. yeah i won't tell anyone yeah all right. My lips Thank are you very sealed. much. Uh, we'll see you guys next episode. Yeah, thanks again. Bye.